Welcome to Anecdotally Speaking, a podcast to help you build your business story repertoire. Hi, I'm Sean Callahan, And I'm Mark Shank. Mark, I hear you're off to do a bit of diving. Next week, I'm going up to the north uh, of Australia, up into the Great Barrier Reef uh, and out in the Coral Sea. Really looking forward to it. You're actually on a boat for a whole week, are you? Yeah, yeah, live aboard. Uh, so probably four dives a day and yeah, it's just a total immersion and uh, no internet. Now tell me, I've, I've been meaning to ask you this because of course, you know, with their soccer team that's been down the cave and all the divers going in and out, helping them out, you know, big rescue mission. Thankfully, they got all those, uh, the boys and the coach out, right? I'd love, what was your thought of that? Like what was the, it seemed like, obviously it was so much more difficult than they imagined. It took them ages to get those boys out. What was holding them back? I just couldn't understand it. Well, I guess the first thing is I've been diving for 30 years. Yep. And I would be completely hopeless in that circumstance. The diving in caves is incredibly specialised. Yes. It's a very dangerous thing to do, uh, squeezing through tight places, navigation, low visibility, constant fear of panic, or sorry, constant threat of panic. Yeah. And of course, it's not the diving that's going to kill you normally, it's the panic. Right. And so, uh, or, or making a, uh, an error in uh, direction or timing or calculation. So... The, the, a friend asked me uh, whether they would get all the boys out, and I really did not think they would, because um, not because of the difficulty of the diving, not even because of the difficulty of taking their, you know, their gear off to get through the, uh, the very tight squeeze that they had to get through, which is something like 38 centimetres. It's really very I small. I couldn't do it, so I think my trousers are at least that size. <laughs> And so my, my response was I didn't think they would get everyone out because of panic. So claustrophobia, uh, low visibility doing something that's very new, so they're not, uh, not trained. So, yeah, it's not like they dove. You know, they weren't diving to get there, did they? I mean, they more or less walked in somehow, didn't they? Yeah. And or then climbed water, through, climbed and in. And water levels rose and they were trapped. Yeah. So uh, the, what the solution they came up with was remarkable. Uh, what they did is they, they strapped the boys to stretchers. Yes. And, so, uh, and, and they literally strapped them to the stretchers so that they couldn't thrash about. The stretchers were very low profile. Tanks were mounted to the, to the sidebars of the stretchers, so they w- were wide but not tall, and so they could uh, fit them through the very tight squeeze. And so the divers manhandled the stretchers at all times. So the boys were never having to do it on their own, under their own steam. And one further thing that they did was they sedated the boys mildly, so they were you know, ah. less likely to get panic. So yes. the, the big killer would have been panic. Yeah, freaking out. Just freaking out. And I mean, like, totally, I probably would too. Because it's a very scary thing to do. The people who do cave diving are, are pretty unique and really highly trained and very disciplined people. It's, it, is, it is a science, right? And it's done with discipline. So the solution they come up with was, was amazing. It was brilliant. Yes, it was fantastic. And when I saw, them, saw the footage of them doing it, I went, that's it. So a great idea. Now, from a story perspective, this is a little sidebar, I guess. What was it about that that just got so many people around the world totally excited and locked in to whether those boys were going to get out of that cave? What what do you think were some of the story lessons that we could learn from that? Well, kids. Safety of children, yeah. Um, Terror, you know, lost in dark spaces. Yeah, you know, exactly. It's, 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 it's one of those you know, sort of deep-seated fears that we have, don't we? Yeah. And like somebody was saying this morning, that uh, at the same time the world's watching these, uh, these boys in the cave in Thailand, hundreds of people died in floods somewhere else, and it's, no, no one's paying any attention to that. Yeah. So anyway, the, 
fact that it was about kids, I think, was a very big one. I think too is because it it was drip fed, <laughs> drip fed, yeah, drip fed over a sort of a you know weeks period. So it was almost like you're getting installments. You know, you're you know you're watching your Netflix and you want the watch the next series. Well, that's right because you don't know what's going to happen, and so it, the, from a story perspective, that's a great story because people are going. So what happened? Yes. What's going to happen? And it's compelling. Yeah. Yeah, I think I always said that if you can get your audience to be thinking what's going to happen next, you've got a good story on your yeah. hand, right? Yeah, and the whole world was wondering what's going to happen what was next. What's going to happen with those boys? Right, yeah, we better get into our, you know, sort of the story event that we have, uh, which is, you know, another one to add to your repertoire, another one to have in your back pocket. You're walking into meetings, you can be able to tell this story. It's Mark, it's your uh, story today, isn't it? So... Why don't I just throw it over to you and let's, let's hear it. For sure. And the story this week is about a guy that everyone knows, Henry Ford, the guy who invented the Model T Ford. I think 1908 was when the first Model T rolled out of the factories. Yeah. And Ford's well known for his revolutionizing of production lines uh, and assembly lines and being very, very efficient at producing Model T Fords. So the great industrialist. The great industrialist and kind of not known as a, as a people person. You don't think of Henry Ford as a people you don't, person. do you? Because he's kind of, you know, this guy that, that took meaningful work and packaged it up into pint-sized bits and it became quite tedious and boring. And of course, this created a huge problem because uh, the work was, you know, became quite piecemeal. You know, assembly line workers doing very small often menial tasks in a repetitive way with uh, high volume and it was very hard work and there was lots of dissatisfaction in the factories. So lots of turnover, in fact massive turnover and there was an enormous amount of, Ford realised they were spending an enormous amount of money training workers uh, as a result of the turnover, putting in place bonuses and benefits that would uh, keep them but all to no avail. Really? Wow. Yeah. And the industry kind of accepted that this high turnover was just simply a byproduct of the assembly line system. So they just accepted it. And so what they did is they just passed on the cost of doing this in the prices of their cars. That makes a lot of sense, but not to Henry Ford. He looked at this and he went, this is completely unacceptable. And in, 24, uh, in, sorry, in 1914, he made a decision that certainly his shareholders were dead against and that the rest of the industry were... They, they kind of looked at him and said, you're mad. Because at the time, for uh, Henry Ford's workers, like all the workers in the, the motor industry, they were working nine-hour days and they were being paid $2.38 for that nine-hour day. For the day. day. For the day. Yeah, okay. You can understand why there's a lot of turnover. Right? It's <laughs> not a lot of money. And he looked at it and he, he said, this is not right. And he doubled, sorry, he more than doubled the wage and he, he made it $5 a day yes. for an eight-hour working day. Interesting. And everyone thought he was completely reckless, particularly the shareholders. But Ford's view was, well, when you pay a man well, you can talk to them. And one of the, so one of the byproducts of this was that there was this budding unionization in the Ford factories, and that kind of just petered out. And Ford was hailed as this, I don't know, hero of, of, the, uh, of, of the guy on the assembly line. Right. Uh, kind right. of contrary to what, we, uh, to what we might think. It's not the story that's come out, you know, more, re you know, like in the sense of our common understanding, right? Yeah. But Ford's view was that by retaining his employees, he would actually reduce costs. And that's exactly what happened. Between 1914, when he made the decision, and 1916, 1916, so two years, the profit doubled from $30 million to $60 million. 
And this is despite a flat market share, increased competition, and falling prices. And so... That's remarkable. It is remarkable. And when Ford was asked late in life about, one of, you know, about his best decisions, he said, without a doubt, my best decision was the five-hour working day. It was the best cost-cutting move I ever made. Yeah, right. The $5 a day. Wow. That's, uh, that's, that's fantastic. What a great what, story. I love yeah, that story. Kind of really you know? When I heard this, in fact, this story I would like to acknowledge was shared by Rod Rothwell, yeah. our partner in, uh, in Korea, oh, uh, okay. earlier this year. Yeah. And uh, it really surprised me. So yeah. uh, Again, you know, it's just one of those ones that goes against the grain of what we think we know. Um, okay, let's, let's talk then. Let's talk about you know, why this story works and you know, why we like this story. Uh, I guess for me, it's great to have stories that are about very well-known people because you don't have to fill all that in. And sometimes that's the thing that allows you to give the unexpected because you have this picture of one person or what they do and then all of a sudden in the story, you flip it a little bit, right? So I think that has a certain element of that. Uh, definitely. One of the things I like about it is you can tell it reasonably quickly. Yes. Yeah, I, I can imagine actually sitting in a meeting and, and you know, someone saying you know, something like, ah, let's, I think we need to you know, sort of look at reducing the salaries by, across the board for 10% or something like that you know, as the big cost-cutting you know, device, whatever. And you can sort of throw in that story and go, well, maybe you can increase profits in a counterintuitive way. Right, throw that in. Yeah, kind of that think differently uh, uh, thought. Yep. Um, it's probably worth uh, mentioning that when we did the first version of that story, it was much, much longer. Yes, yes. So you know, you did tell it before, didn't you? And yeah. it was, um, it had too many elements in it, didn't it? Yeah. And one of the reasons was I wasn't clear on the point I was using the story for, so I didn't know what point, uh, what details to include and to exclude. So yep. it became a much, much longer story, and it was only through our conversation that we were able to focus on on the point and dramatically shorten the story. Yeah. So when you heard uh, Rod tell it. Um, oh, no, actually, Rod shared a written version of it. Oh, did he? Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. So you saw the written version of it. Did it have the same point? You know, or was yes. it focused on the same area? Yes, yes. it was. Right. And, when I, and then when I went and researched it, I found out all of this really interesting stuff. You know, that Ford grew up on a farm and that uh, in 19, sorry, 1891, he had his first design of the internal combustion engine and he oh, right. worked so on it started, for years. You started to get immersed like, in all that, did I, you? I mean, and it's a great story, right? Yeah, right. It's a great story and I got immersed in that. Right. And when I told it, I, I included all of that backstory. Yes. Didn't Comple- it. Completely unnecessary. Yep. How interesting. Um, I think, you know, too, it's, it's a relatable story. It's about a business per- person who is looking for new ways to, you know, sort of improve their business. But I love the fact that it's counterintuitive and I love the fact that it's, it's counterintuitive what you expect for about that person. Yeah. Right. I think that's part of it. Good. Anything else that jumps out for us? Well, I, I, I kind of find it interesting that something that Ford did back in 1914 is still incredibly relatable in the modern uh, 2018 business environment. Yes, yeah, right. Because there's so many companies out there who are doing things that have never been done before. This is a great example of the thinking that you need to have to succeed in a new environment. Actually, yeah, that's, that's a good point, isn't it? Because we can easily get tied up taking advice for people who are just holding you back, holding you down. Yeah. Well, I guess it's advice that's very, very well served if your objective is the status quo. Yes, but if your objective is not to remain in the status quo, then maybe you need to talk to people 
who aren't part of the current system. Yeah, that's right. It does make a, a good case for you know, broadening your networks, doesn't it? Yeah, and also just being careful who you listen to. And I remember you know, through our journey for nearly 14 years at Anecdote, you know, we've taken advice from very, very experienced and respectable people. It's turned out to be 100% wrong. True. True, absolutely. And these were people who kind of worked in a, a traditional way and we don't. Yeah, that's right. You sort of have to make your own way in some ways. Certainly what Ford was doing. Where are the places that you could tell this? Well, what are the situations we can imagine where this would be a, a good story to have in the back pocket? Well, yeah, there's so many companies out there right now that are facing the potential for disruption. Lots of industries are under threat and there are lots of people in those organisations who are arguing for incremental change. Right. And so I could imagine the shareholders of Ford's uh, factory or the shareholders of uh, Ford back in 1914 going, let's give them a 5% pay rise. Yes. And Ford's going, no, we're going to more than double it and we're going to reduce the working hours. Oh, and by the way, we're going to throw in a profit share system. Yeah. You've got you to gotta be doing something very different. I'm, I'm literally seeing a couple of organisations now, big organisations, which are just, they know the clouds are swirling, the dark clouds are swirling around them yet they're not making any big choices to change. They're yeah. just so, the inertia is so strong. Yeah, it's so, so let's, hard for let's, them let's to move out of it. Yeah, tweak this, tweak that. Yeah, interesting. I think the other one too is, you know, you how people are sort of saying, oh, we've got to think outside the box, you know, must, <laughs> must do that, think outside yeah. the box. I mean, the one thing here, this would be a good story about, you know, how at least one business tycoon was, you know, sort of thinking out the, outside the box, you know, a long time ago. And again, it doesn't have to be the most, you don't have to have the most amazing invention or the most amazing you know, sort of new way of doing things. It could just be the magnitude of the sort of thing that you do in some ways. So I think that's part of it. What else? Is there any other places where we could, um, you know, really use this story, sort of give people a sense of new ways of operating? Well, I, I could certainly see myself using that story as part of a presentation. You know, a conference presentation or something like where you wanted people to think differently. Yes. The applications I was talking about earlier, I'm, I'm picturing leaders in meetings, uh, but there's also uh, being on stage and presenting to a big crowd where you, where you want pe- people to uh, embrace the I- idea of significant change, innovation, thinking outside the box, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's a creativity sort of thing or innovation thing. I, I think too, the great thing about uh, this story is you would be, there'd be no shortage of imagery that you could use oh. on your presentations, right? So that's, yeah. a, that's another great thing about it as yeah. well. In fact, I was thinking that our partners in Canada, uh, Doug Keeley from Mark of a Leader, could really use that as part of their, uh, their they, they do enormous video productions of stories and this was one that you could find a huge yes. amount of material Doug to support could have a good, He could make a yeah. great story he out of this, couldn't he? could do it really well. So let's give it a, a rating, our rating uh, for this story. Uh, since it's you told it, I'll, I'll start off. I'm thinking, for me, you know, in the second telling, when I heard that second telling, you know I wasn't too excited about the first time. I right? well know it. I was predicting, I was anticipating a four. Yeah. Well, you'll be pleased to know the, the second telling for me is a seven. Wow. So we jumped up. And, and it's because I just see it as a very useful story. I could definitely see it as something in my story bank that I would tell you know, in those types of situations. And it's an easy one to tell. I don't Because the great thing about it, there's a whole bunch of things you could miss out. You know, all you have to really sort of say is the guy doubled the wages and he got good profits. You know, that's, 
that's practically the story. You know, to tell it well, you have to add in all those other bits, but it's a pretty basic story, which is fantastic. Well, I, I do think that the effectiveness of the story, you do need to nail the $2.38 to $5. It just adds credibility you know, in the telling of the story. I think so, yeah. I, so, I think you're absolutely but, but right. But if you've got those two pieces of information, $2.38 and $5, yep. nine hours to eight hours, yep. yeah, that's probably it because it's beautiful contrast. Yeah. Um, look, I would give it a seven as well. Right. Uh, I can see it as a, uh, a potentially useful story that I could use in those circumstances that we mentioned. But what I'm expecting is I would expect that that's a story that a lot of the people listening to the podcast will have really different thoughts on how they could use it. So, yeah, I, I give it a seven because I do think that it's got uh, potential application way beyond what we've identified in this podcast. Fantastic. Okay, well, that's a great story. Let's uh, another one for the story bank. You know, if you look at the podcast now, it's probably uh, t- more than twenty stories that you have access to. So we're going to just keep building this up, and you know, by the end of the year, we'll have uh, you know fifty odd stories for you to play around with. I think that's fantastic. Absolutely, and we've had some really interesting feedback from people who've taken the stories that we've shared in the podcast and applied them in their day-to-day work and had great results. So if you've had one of those experiences, we'd love to hear about it. Absolutely. Well, let's wrap things up. Uh, Thanks again for for listening to Anecdotally Speaking. And of course, tune in next week where we'll have yet another episode for us to play around with that shows just how to put stories to work. (music) 